Natalia Grace Barnett has been called many things, a loving child, an adult sociopath masquerading as a child, a Ukrainian orphan brought to the States, a knife-wielding maniac, a dwarf, a con artist, and a beloved, unofficially adopted daughter. Only some of them are true. The trouble is figuring out which ones. Welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy. I'd like to start by asking you for a favor. If you like what you hear today, please take a moment to give the podcast a five-star rating and a short review, even if you just say hi. It really helps the podcast get more recognition, and of course, you can always share it with a friend, too. Enough of the growing the podcast chit-chat. Let's work our way through this dumpster fire of a case. When Michael and Christine Barnett decided they wanted to adopt a child, everyone thought it was a great idea. Michael was a real estate agent and a businessman. Christine ran a successful daycare for children with autism from her home and was ready to expand. They had three handsome sons, and according to Michael, they were a very happy family who were doing well financially. Michael and Christine couldn't have any more kids of their own due to complications, but they'd always dreamed of having a daughter, one that would complete their family and bring even more happiness to their lives. The one they got, however did just the opposite. Michael and Christine met and fell in love while they were in college. Soon after, they became pregnant with their first son, Jacob. When he was about two years old, he seemed to regress developmentally. He stopped speaking and making eye contact. After several consultations with experts, he was diagnosed with autism, and around that time, Michael and Christine would marry. In order to marry Michael, Christine would abandon her Amish background. Her life became busy as a special needs parent. She would bring Jacob to physical therapy, speech therapy, developmental and occupational therapies, too. Even with those added responsibilities, she and Michael would have two more children. Christine, always observant when it came to her kids, noticed that Jacob wasn't happy unless he was doing something he loved, which as a three-year-old was math and science. The more he focused on those subjects, the more he began to communicate. With the help of experts, Jacob's diagnosis became Asperger's syndrome, a form of borderline autism. By the time he was in kindergarten, at age five or six, he was still behind as far as speaking and socializing with others goes, but he was light years ahead of everybody else when it came to math. He'd come home from elementary school asking to learn more about algebra. Trying to keep him challenged led to a double life. He went to elementary school during the day and occasionally sat in on college courses in the evening. He found them fascinating. After a few years, he decided he wanted to officially enroll in college. He was 10 years old, a real-life little Einstein. Before allowing him to register, the university required that he sit in on a full calculus class to prove to the academy that he could sit still and focus. He decided he was going to go a step further and participate in the class discussion, but in order to do that, he needed to learn Algebra 1 and 2, Geometry and Trigonometry. So he took a stack of high school books home and taught himself all of it in only two weeks. When he began attending class officially, Christine would sit next to him. Most of the students in the classroom thought Christine was the student and that she couldn't find a babysitter. They were surprised when they learned that Jake was the registered student. He passed the class easily. His success was attention-grabbing, and the Barnetts seemed to revel in the attention. Christine was praised for her efforts in raising such a brilliant mind, one that many believed was broken. Perhaps due to her success with Jacob, Christine felt compelled to help other children with autism, 
so she and Michael decided to open a center for autistic children called Jacob's Place. She also began writing a book about her family's journey through the autism diagnosis. Encouraged by their early success, they applied for and received a large grant which would help them build an autism center. It was at this time, in 2008, they decided it was time to expand their family. They took their first steps into the world of adopting a child in Indiana. According to the state's adoption program, adoptive parents can meet all state requirements in 6 to 12 months. They begin by filling out a lengthy application packet, and then they attend 16 hours of in-person training, criminal background checks, child protective service checks, as well as a home study provided by the company or agency the adopting family chooses to work with. It's not an easy process, and when it's finally complete, there's no guarantee that a family will get a child right away. The Barnetts were in the process of adopting a daughter from Haiti, but unfortunately, this adoption came to a halt when a devastating earthquake hit the country in 2010. So they were surprised when, soon after that, an adoption agency from Florida contacted them about a Ukrainian orphan in need of a family. This company said they had a six-year-old girl who they wanted to pair the Barnetts with. However, they were unwilling to share much information with the family. They basically said, this little girl has some special needs, and she had been in the process of being adopted by another family, but something went wrong. The company was unwilling to explain further. The Barnetts had 24 hours to decide whether they wanted to move forward with the adoption of this little girl named Natalia. They also mentioned that they thought the Barnetts would be a perfect fit since they already had experience with and a passion for children with special needs. Michael said that the phone call wasn't really alarming when he first received it, but looking back on it years later, he'd say there were a lot of red flags right from the start that he and Christine overlooked. The first was that adoption laws in Florida required that someone from the agency go to the person's house that's wanting to adopt a child and do a home check. The agency also required very thorough background checks to be done, but that didn't happen with this adoption. I couldn't find an explanation for this, but it's plausible that it was because the adoption agency was calling from Florida and the Barnetts were adopting from Indiana. Maybe the state rules are a little different. Regardless, they only had 24 hours to give the agency an answer. And if the answer was yes, they'd have to come pick Natalia up as soon as possible. Home checks be damned. Michael Barnett said that he saw Natalia coming into their lives so quickly, after losing hope with the Haitian adoption, as a sign from God. They agreed to moving forward with her adoption that day, and began making plans to go to Florida to pick their new daughter up. While they were there, they'd have a nice little vacation, too. They'd take her and the whole family to Disney, but first things first, they would meet their new daughter. Michael would say that when they met with Natalia for the first time, they met in a dingy office in a strip mall, which he thought was strange. I personally wouldn't find that odd because I've gone to some government offices, especially ones having to do with special needs kids, and they were old and dingy, too. That being said, many of my small town's government offices are nothing much to look at. The next thing that Michael noted was that when little Natalia Grace came into the room, she immediately began calling the Barnett's mom and dad. Michael found this very strange because her other adopted family had just given her up five minutes before that and were in another room. Now, when I use the word little to describe Natalia, it's because she has a form of dwarfism called spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia. 
I hope I got that pronunciation right. This is a rare genetic disorder that results in short stature and skeletal anomalies that primarily affect the spine and long bones of the arms and legs. It's painful to walk and move, which was the case for Natalia, who was carried into the room. Natalia Grace, who, if her birth records are correct, was born on September 4, 2003. One month later, she would be placed into a Ukrainian orphanage. In July of 2008, Natalia Grace, at age four and a half, was brought to the USA from Ukraine and was adopted by a couple in Massachusetts. A doctor examined her there, and an interpreter helped doctors communicate with Natalia during that examination. Her medical records charted the surgeries she would need and set a timetable for the operations. It was noted in these records that the interpreter spoke Russian. Natalia was placed with a couple named Vincent and Nicole DePaul of New York, who had a form of dwarfism similar to Natalia's. They were her foster-slash-potential adoptive parents in 2009, but for reasons unknown, that adoption fell through. That couple believed that Natalia was six years old during the final year they were with her. The adoption process seemed sloppy and disorganized to the Barnetts, but they overlooked some of the small things that they deemed odd because they were so excited to meet Natalia. She was handed over to Christine, and the relationship took off on a very high note. Christine carted Natalia around in her arms and on her hip for days because she'd been told that Natalia had trouble walking, and Natalia seemed happy to have someone carry her. So imagine Christine's surprise when they took her and the Barnett boys to the beach. The boys were so excited they ran straight to the ocean. Of course, Natalia was just as excited and was wiggling trying to get out of Christine's arms. As Christine sat her down, Natalia took off running into the water as well, which was shocking to Christine, who had been carrying her for days. But that was nothing compared to what happened the night that Christine gave Natalia her first bath. Natalia was far too little to get in and out of the bathtub herself, and she was only six years old, so help with bath time was to be expected. But what wasn't expected was that Natalia had pubic hair, and not just a little bit. Christine immediately called her husband in to tell him, and that was when they had the first inkling that Natalia might be much older than they believed her to be, and there would be more to come. Three months into the adoption, the Barnetts would introduce Natalia to someone. They had a friend with a daughter who had the same genetic disorder and who was in the same age range as Natalia. When they met for a playdate for the first time, the Barnetts couldn't believe the size difference between the girls. It was blatantly obvious to them that this little girl who was actually six was way younger than Natalia seemed to be. They thought that Natalia's face was more mature. They said Natalia already had her adult teeth and that she had a better vocabulary than this little girl, which was really weird since Natalia had grown up in the Ukraine and had arrived in the United States in 2008. English was her second language, and she'd only been speaking it for two years, and yet she spoke much better than this six-year-old who was brought up speaking English. Strange, yes, but impossible, no. Kids can learn a second language so quickly, and Natalia, at four years old, would have soaked the English language up like a sponge. The Barnetts, early on, in an attempt to make Natalia feel more comfortable in their home, invited a Ukrainian friend over to meet their new daughter. This friend attempted to speak to Natalia in her native language. According to the Barnetts, Natalia understood nothing. 
In fact, they said she got upset about it and wouldn't speak to the Barnetts for four days. I don't know any eight-year-olds that would hold a grudge and not speak for four days. Maybe there are some out there, but I haven't met them. In many articles and podcasts I read and listened to about this case, there was a lot of speculation about how a six-year-old couldn't remember a single word of Ukrainian when she came from that country. But the thing is, part of Ukraine where she came from speaks Russian. And if you remember earlier on when she first came to the States, a Russian interpreter helped her speak with the doctor. I feel like the Barnetts didn't do their homework on this claim. There were many things that just didn't add up for Christine. Natalia still seemed more mature than the average eight-year-old, and not just physically either. Sometimes she would make statements that seemed so much more mature than her years. At one point, Natalia complained to Christine, saying, "'Ugh, these kids are exhausting,' which to me is hilarious. Now, I have a daughter who often repeated, and still does, things that I say and things she picks up from friends. This made me remark more than once that she was six going on sixteen. So that comment doesn't seem all that strange to me, but it did to the Barnetts. They took her to a physician at Peyton Manning Hospital, who completed a body examination upon their request. The doctor estimated her age to be approximately eight years old. That's one and a half years older than Natalia's birth records. Regardless of these suspicions, in November 2010, Christine and Michael completed the adoption process of Natalia Grace. Around this time, Natalia has her first foot surgery as part of her care, and the Barnetts come into some more money. They receive a grant in the amount of $145,000 from the National Christian Charitable Foundation to expand their autism center. In early 2011, their gifted son Jacob is featured in Time magazine, and a few days later he's featured on Ripley's Believe It or Not. Within weeks, he sets the record for being the youngest astrophysics researcher and would be featured in Discovery magazine. In May of 2011, Christine took Natalia to Easy Dental for the purpose of an estimate of Natalia's age. She was examined and dental x-rays were taken. Records showed that Natalia was between eight and nine years old. In September, they separated Natalia's eighth birthday. In October, the family, minus Natalia, go to a pumpkin patch. In March of 2012, neighbors report the Barnetts to the Indiana Department of Child Services. They bring in the Westfield Police Department. The report is for the neglect of Natalia Grace. Apparently, Christine took away Natalia's bedroom and bed and made her sleep on the back deck of their home. In March. It's cold in Indiana in March. As Jacob got more and more praise and attention, Christine began telling everyone that she thought Natalia was an adult. She claimed to have found bloody clothes hidden in Natalia's closet, which made her believe that Natalia was trying to hide the fact that she had a menstrual cycle and that she was in fact older than she was letting on. When confronted with this information, Natalia's attitude toward the Barnetts changed completely. According to Michael, after that it became World War III between Christine and Natalia. He said Natalia began acting up in the worst kind of ways. It started small and then grew out of control. Natalia allegedly put clear thumbtacks on the stairway, trying to get the Barnetts to step on them. She walked into their bedroom at night and stood over them with a knife in her hands. 
Michael said Natalia upped her scare tactics and was doing as many things as possible to cause hurt or mental distress to the entire family. He said she would find little toy cars that the boys loved. She'd take them outside and throw them into the streets so the boys would notice. She was baiting my kids to run into traffic so they'd get run over. I can't put into words the everyday abject terror that we had to go through and live with. She even smeared feces on their faces. She allegedly tried to poison Christine by spraying Pledge into Christine's coffee. When Christine asked her what she was doing, she admitted she was trying to poison her. In all honesty, there were several sources with claims of poisoning, and none of them said the same thing. One said Christine said that Natalia put bleach in her coffee. Another said Windex. Michael said Natalia put pine salt in Christine's coffee. And Natalia herself said it was Pledge, and that she was spraying it on the table next to Christine's coffee. So, either the media got the facts wrong, or the stories weren't consistent. There were even more accusations against Natalia, including that Natalia came after Christine with a butcher knife, and that she was jumping out of moving cars. She was also accused of attacking a baby boy, which was seen through a baby monitor. She has an alleged history of hurting children. She was accused of intentionally trying to break a little boy's arm. This was while living with one of the several foster families prior to the Barnetts. Natalia claimed she was play-wrestling with the boy and accidentally hurt his arm. His biological mother was worried about her son's safety. This incident led to Natalia being placed with a different family. Michael explained in a televised interview that after Natalia began hoarding knives in her room, they took her to several psychiatrists before one would tell the family that they were in danger and diagnosed her as a sociopath. Now the Barnetts believed they had an adult, little person, a con artist, and a sociopath living in their home. Natalia was taken to LaRue Carter, an Indiana State Mental Hospital, to receive a mental health evaluation after she allegedly tried to push her adoptive mother into an electric fence. Her stay there led to her care team stating that she was aggressive, manipulative, and was even allegedly propositioning men at the hospital. One staff member would say that she was an adult, pretending to be a child. She was released from the hospital in 2012. You might be wondering, did the Barnetts ever go to the police? Well, the answer is a resounding no. As far as official reports to the police about Natalia's actions, there were none. There were no police reports, no charges pressed, no restraining orders placed, no lawsuits placed against the adoption agency. But Christine would tell the officers who came to her home to check on Natalia's well-being that they believed she was an adult and that she probably lied about her age in order to escape the Ukraine. An officer began looking into these claims and referred the case to the FBI. They also suggested that they file a claim in court. Instead of police records, there's video footage of Natalia reading the Bible, and when she's asked why, she says, to get the evil thoughts out of my head, which seems to me like a very creepy adult thing to say, not something a six-and-a-half, seven- or eight-year-old would say. There are also clips of her being punished by being put in time-out with her forehead against the wall, which is a punishment usually used for a younger child, and one that would not be effective on a knife-wielding, sociopathic adult. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Christine and Michael had a lot going on in their lives. Christine was in the midst of writing her book, one that would be published in 2014. Her book, called The Spark, a mother's story of nurturing genius and autism, would go on to be nominated for several awards. The book description speaks about how their son Jacob has an IQ higher than Einstein's, that he was working on an original theory in astrophysics and became a paid researcher in quantum physics. It talks about concentrating on what he could do rather than what he couldn't, and this helped him overcome his huge odds. It also stated that the Barnetts were not wealthy, and in addition to financial hardship, Christine herself faced serious health issues. When the book was finally published and she went on tour, there was no public mention of Natalia or the hardships she faced, or the ones she allegedly caused, or the fact that Michael and Christine's relationship was crumbling. In fact, as the Barnetts traveled the world to promote their book and receive awards, Natalia wasn't with the family. That was because in June of 2012, only two and a half years after the phone call that introduced Natalia to the Barnetts, and a year and a half before the book tour began, Michael and Christine petitioned the court to have Natalia's age changed from an eight-year-old girl, three months shy of her ninth birthday, to a 22-year-old woman. How they were able to do this, I don't know. But what I do know is that at no time in the re-aging process did the court appoint legal counsel to represent Natalia's legal interest or present her defense against the petition. In fact, Natalia was a resident of a mental hospital when the Barnetts filed for her age change, and it was granted. It would allow the Barnetts and Natalia to have access to services that Natalia would otherwise not have access to, which was mostly in the form of government funding. It also took away services that she would have had as a child, such as surgeries, she needed as a growing minor. Without these surgeries, her condition would be more painful and her daily life more difficult. That stroke of a judge's pen would shield the Barnetts from investigations from the Department of Natural Services, because now Natalia was an adult. It would shield the Barnetts from an adult protection investigation, and it would shield the Barnetts from being prosecuted for neglect of a dependent based on Natalia's new age. The Barnetts would be taken to trial in 2019, seven years later for neglect, because of Natalia's dependency due to her dwarfism. But for the moment, let's stick with the year 2012. That year, Natalia was hospitalized for psychiatric care. But according to the Indiana State Police, Detective Brian Davenport, the Barnetts refused to pick her up afterwards. Christina allegedly said, open the door and let her walk. After neither of the Barnett adults picked her up from the hospital, she was released to a halfway house, which was an institute devoted to people with criminal backgrounds, psychiatric problems, or drug abuse problems to reintegrate them into society. Natalia would later claim that she was only in the halfway house for a few hours, but the accounts differ. A detective who years later worked on Natalia's case interviewed Michael, who said that Christine demanded that he pick Natalia up because, and I quote, 
she wouldn't have her midget daughter die of an overdose. She supposedly didn't want something like that to tarnish their good reputations. The Barnetts claimed the couple picked Natalia up after she asked to return to their home, but she wasn't with them for long. The Barnetts had a plan. They were tired of looking after Natalia, and they thought she was an adult sociopath. So after they changed her birth year, they got her an apartment in Hamilton County. They got her federal disability benefits and social security services. These benefits would give her $700 every two weeks to live on while the Barnetts paid for her apartment. The Barnetts claimed that Michael visited Natalia once a week, and they claimed a home health aide visited Natalia 15 times in a year. They had logs to prove the visits throughout her year in that apartment. Natalia disputed this, saying that Michael only visited three or four times, and that the home health aide only came once. When Michael came, he'd stock the cupboards with peanut butter and jelly, cans of food, and ramen noodles, which she couldn't cook because she didn't have a microwave and she didn't know how to use a stove. She said that even if she had a microwave, it would have been difficult for her to reach the cabinet where the ramen noodles were kept. Because it was difficult for Natalia to go to the store, she would occasionally order a pizza. She didn't have a driver's license, could barely walk, and the house was not set up for her disability. She had a washer and dryer, but she struggled to take clothes out of them because they were both top loaders. She couldn't reach the bottom of them without fear of falling inside. The knobs were at the very back, so she had to climb on top of the machines to reach the settings. But the bottom line was that she really didn't know how to use them anyway. Keep in mind, if her birth records are correct and the Barnetts are wrong, she's only nine years old. Some of her former neighbors said that they could smell Natalia from ten feet away, and one even washed her clothes for her once. She struggled with her self-care. It was nearly impossible for her to get in and out of the bathtub because of the high sides. She didn't have a walk-in shower. But somehow, with all the struggles, she managed to live in that apartment for nearly a year. While she was living alone in that jungle gym of an apartment, the Barnetts were beginning to struggle financially. After supposedly sinking hundreds of thousands of dollars in grant money into Jacob's place, Christine posts in March of 2013 that they're looking for a new location. I say supposedly because there are some people who believe they use that money for their own personal benefit. Around this time, Christine would receive a nice advance for the publishing of the book she's releasing the following month. From April through July, Christine Barnett goes on a worldwide tour promoting her book, giving talks, and offering her autism advice, but there's never a mention of the disabled Ukrainian girl she adopted. In the end of June 2013, she would tweet that her son Jacob had been accepted to the Perimeter Institute in Canada, which is a top physics research institution. In it, she says, it's time to figure out moving to Canada. They immediately get busy moving Natalia to Lafayette. This was because Christine convinced Michael to quit his job and move the family to Ontario, Canada. Christine found an apartment in Lafayette, which Michael said, quote, she chose because the complex was filled with white trash. This apartment was not set up for her disability either, but it was much cheaper than her first apartment. This was in July of 2013, and Natalia would have been almost 10, or almost 24 with her age reassignment. The couple moved Natalia into the apartment and claimed to have paid a year's worth of rent up front. 
It only took them a day to move Natalia from one apartment to the other. They also said they enrolled her in a school in Lafayette at an adult resource academy to get her GED, but I couldn't find any proof of enrollment. It may be out there somewhere. In the last conversation Natalia had with Christine, Christine told her that they were moving to Canada. During the four years that Natalia stayed in Lafayette, neither Michael nor Natalia made any attempt to contact her. The electricity in the apartment was shut off after Natalia was unable to pay the bills. The air conditioning wasn't functioning in the 90-degree summers, which made her very uncomfortable. According to Natalia, a month after moving into her new apartment, she hobbled down the street and knocked on a stranger's door. She said she was surprised when the occupants welcomed her inside. The strangers were Cynthia and her husband, Antoine Mans. Cynthia and Natalia became fast friends, and several days later, Natalia would move in with them and their five children, some of whom were adopted. She'd pay them $250 a month. In May 2014, Tippecanoe County would receive a file to evict Natalia Grace from her apartment for non-payment of rent. This was after the Barnetts claimed they co-signed and paid for an entire year's rent up front in July of 2013. Luckily for Natalia Grace, she'd been living with the Manns since August. In September of 2014, now either an 11-year-old or a 25-year-old, Natalia Grace was enrolled in a free Indiana public school that gave adults a chance to earn a high school diploma. She went there for only four days before the Tippecanoe County Sheriff's Office was contacted by an employee at the school about Natalia. They thought she wasn't old enough to be in high school. At this time, a detective spoke to Natalia. She explained that her adoptive family left her over a year ago and moved to Canada. The man's family who had taken her in would attempt to adopt Natalia officially. In March of 2016, they applied to become her legal guardian. To succeed, they needed to prove that Natalia was a minor. A judge at the Tippecanoe Circuit Court ordered a new hearing to establish Natalia's age. The Manns believed she was a child, so they tried to overturn the 2012 age change. This round, the hearing was more in-depth. The judge looked at medical reports and other documents, and witnesses came before the court to explain why they were certain that Natalia had been 22. The judge upheld the original results, and the couple dropped the guardianship petition. Despite the petition's failure, the man's continued caring for Natalia. Natalia claimed the couple taught her basic life skills like reading, writing, and math. It seems as though they might be the real heroes in the story. They came across a person who wasn't being treated well and cared enough to put in the effort to make sure that something was done about it. Antoine and Cynthia still believed that Natalia was a child. In 2018, another doctor examined Natalia Grace. This doctor would age Natalia at 13 to 14 years of age based on x-rays. The medical record showed that she was physically limited because of her medical condition and that surgeries on Natalia's lower extremities and spine would be medically necessary, with spinal realignment taking a priority. Records show that because of the conflict between her legal age and her physical age, her treatment was denied until the conflict could be resolved. Shortly after the Barnetts moved to Canada, they separated. 
Michael would return to Indiana and saw Natalia on a couple of occasions. Christine never came to see Natalia. In 2018, their divorce would be finalized. In 2019, the Barnetts would be charged with multiple counts of neglect of a dependent, causing bodily injury and conspiracy to commit neglect of a dependent. That same year, the Mann's family and Natalia would go on the Dr. Phil show. At this point, she's either 16 or 30 years old. On the show, she would give her side of the story. She told Dr. McGraw that when she was first adopted by the Barnetts, she felt like she had found the right family. But after her first surgery, Christine was starting to question Natalia's age. When Dr. Phil asked about the knives that Natalia allegedly held, she claimed that never happened. She couldn't even reach the top of the fridge where the knives were kept. As for the poisoning attempt, she said she was cleaning and using lemon pledge. She was spraying the table and realized she had missed a spot, so she moved her chair over so she could get to it. She moved Christine's coffee, and when Christine saw her do that, Christine, for some reason, believed that Natalia was trying to spray it into her coffee. She also said she had never been in the Barnett's bedroom, let alone standing at the foot of their bed with a knife, and she never intentionally pulled Christine towards an electric fence. She said it was the youngest son's birthday, so they went to a farm. They started walking, and she got about a quarter of the way, and she sat down because her legs were hurting really badly. Christine had Michael and the boys go ahead of them. She sat down next to Natalia and was like, Natalia, you need to get up. So she got up, and she was trying to help Natalia get up, and she fell again. Christine fell with her, and they both landed near an electric fence. Dr. Phil remained skeptical. Throughout most of the interview, he couldn't believe that an eight-year-old could live alone in an apartment for a year. But Natalia would explain that her landlord would take her to a gas station or somewhere just to get food, and the Barnetts would sometimes bring her food. When Cynthia Mann spoke about her experience with Natalia and the Barnetts, she said that she believed the Barnetts had groomed Natalia before they left for Canada. They told her to tell anyone who asked that she was 22. Dr. Phil seemed to sympathize with the man, stating that no matter what Natalia's age actually is, she's a human being deserving of love. He also believed that Natalia didn't know her true age. There was a media frenzy after this. All three parties, the Barnetts, the Manns, and Natalia, were all put on gag orders. They were not to discuss the case until it was completed. But Natalia Grace's former potential adoptive parents would come forward and give an interview with Inside Edition, providing the news media with photos of their time with Natalia, which included missing baby teeth and adult teeth erupting. Michael faced various charges, but four of them were dropped in February of 2022 because several of the charges were based on her age, which had legally been changed. He was, however, charged for neglect due to her disability. Subsequently, he underwent trial in October of 2022, where he was found not guilty. Charges against Christine were dropped in March of 2023, shortly before her scheduled trial. As of right now, Natalia Grace still appears to be residing in Indiana. The gag order was lifted, and just recently a documentary called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace was released. I haven't had the opportunity to watch it yet, but I'm definitely going to. 
In the last few days, the prosecuting attorney released information stating that, as part of the investigation into Natalia's case, Detective Brandon Davenport traveled to Ukraine in 2019 to interview Natalia's alleged mother, named Anna Gaba. They did a DNA test, which is said to have confirmed that they were a 99.999% match. In 2022, she was interviewed again and was adamant that when she was 24, she gave birth to Natalia on September 3, 2003, her original birth date before the age reassignment. If Natalia truly was the reassigned age, her mother would have been 10 years old when she birthed Natalia. Anna explained that she had a difficult childbirth before opening up about why she gave her baby up for an adoption. She said that when she regained consciousness after anesthesia the next day, the doctor came and said there's no sense in taking her home. They said she wouldn't be able to walk at all and she would be very short of stature. She claimed she was told it would cost over $100,000 for surgery and that she didn't have any finances to cover it at that time. She said, I didn't want to leave her, but the doctor said there's nothing you could do for her. You're young. You're 24 years old. Don't ruin your life. You'll have other children. She said she listened to the doctors instead of keeping her, but all these years she's been thinking about Natalia and what her life was like. She said Natalia was promised piles of gold, and it turned out to be the opposite. When she found out what really happened, that Natalia was abandoned at age nine, alone in an apartment, she was shocked. According to her mother, Natalia has two brothers and two sisters. Many people believe that the Barnetts made up the whole story about evil Natalia because she was more work than they expected. They were overwhelmed, running into financial trouble, and they no longer wanted to care for her. They wanted to focus on their genius. There's a movie called The Orphan that came out in 2009, the year before Natalia was adopted. It's about a couple who decide to adopt a child from an orphanage, a little girl named Esther. When they bring her home, she starts doing evil things to the family and ends up being a killer. It's very reminiscent of what happened with Natalia, and oddly enough, it's based on a true story. The movie, The Orphan, was inspired by a woman named Barbara Skarlova, who was discovered posing as a 13-year-old boy in Norway. I'll be covering that story in the next episode. This has to make you wonder if the Barnetts had seen this movie and used it as a backdrop to tell about their own story, about who Natalia was and why they should no longer need to care for her. If I had to choose a side, it's probably obvious by now that I believe Natalia. I believe she's going to be 20 years old this fall, and I think she's an amazing woman. She is expected to share her side of the story in a follow-up documentary airing later this summer. I can't wait to hear what she says, and I hope that she's given some form of justice. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Please feel free to reach out on social media via Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon. There are links to those, as well as the opportunity to be an amazing sponsor for the show. Those links are located in the show description on your podcast app. I have a couple of special thank yous. First, of course, to sponsors and Patreons. You are the absolute best. I'd also like to read a couple of new reviews to you and thank the wonderful people who took the time to write them. The first is from J. Doyon1977, who says, You're a great podcaster. Four stars. She has a great voice and tells some horrific stories. Next, we have Lynn Baker, 
who gave five stars and said fabulous series as an avid consumer of true crime podcasts. Not sure what that says about me. I'm the same way, so don't feel bad about that. I'm always looking on, I'm always on the lookout for another one to devour. What a joy to find Sandy and Twisted Travel. No twangy music, no annoying cliffhangers, just Sandy and her mellifluous tones and really, really interesting cases. Nothing but praise here. Thank you. That's very sweet. And lastly, Home Birth Midwife. Excellent storytelling, perfect podcast, five stars. Among my top favorites, compelling storytelling with a lot of cases I've never heard anywhere else. I appreciate the thorough research, yet meaningful content. Thank you very much. I so appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, I'd like to wish you all fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds.